Hello. Now, this is episode six of season seven. So season seven, it's called the stages of home construction. We are diving into the process of home construction for both new builds and renovations so that you can feel informed as your project gets built. We'll be looking at the what, the when, the who and the how of each stage, and we'll be giving you loads of helpful cost-saving and stress-saving ideas and information along the way. In this episode, we talk about part two of the lock-up or enclosed stage. So this continues on from part one in the last episode, and we keep talking about the steps that are involved in actually making your home watertight as we wrap up the exterior of the home. There's still a, you know, there's still loads left to do in this stage to get to the, the completion of this stage, and it can be really tricky to navigate and be clear about what's included and when your bank might be willing to make payments, what they're expecting to see uh, so that they will then release the next drawer and to be able to uh, keep construction rolling smoothly so that the builder can keep moving forward. So Dwayne and I talk about all of this type of information and what to expect from your builder in their communication and planning. Now, some terminology to familiarise yourself with if this is the first episode in this season that you're diving into. Dwayne and I refer a lot to drawers during this season. Now, we're not meaning the drawers that you keep your socks in. A drawer is actually a payment on the building contract. So when you sign a contract with a builder, a builder will actually identify a series of drawers or progress claims or progress payments. And as work on your project is completed, the builder will submit an invoice for that draw, identifying the work that has been completed and asking you to pay for it. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before I jump into the podcast episode, I want to share with you some exciting information about an online program that I've launched in collaboration with this season of the podcast, and it's available for you to access now. The program is called Manage Your Build, and it's all about helping you navigate the construction of your new home or renovation with sanity, feeling confident and informed. If you want to be better informed about what's happening during the construction of your home or understand what you can expect of your builder or of the contract and you know whether you're getting what you've paid for, then Manage Your Build is designed to simplify this for you. Manage Your Build will give you key knowledge, tools, cheat sheets, industry insider checklists and tips, plus strategies to save your sanity and budget as well. This online program can support you, help you avoid expensive mistakes and drama and put you in the driver's seat, feeling confident during the construction of your new home or renovation. So if you want to check it out, head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash manage your build. There's more information there about what's inside the program, what it includes and how it can support you and save you stress and money as you navigate the construction of your renovation or new home and actually make the process enjoyable for you. So head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash manage your build. 
Okay, so we are into part two of the lock-up enclosed stage, which is where we're really wrapping up the building. We spent, you know, the last episode talking about, obviously, getting the roof on and what's involved in that. And we spoke about the rough-in process and getting all of those various services consultants to be putting their infrastructure through the house, making sure that that's happening correctly, um, carpenters coming back to fix things up, and then also about just looking at scaffolding and the strategy around how you can limit the scaffoldings time on site just purely because of the cost involved in having scaffolding. This episode, we're going to be talking about what happens in terms of bringing the external wall materials into place. Um, So of course, the roof has gone on to waterproof the house, the building paper is on, but then we want to wrap the house with its external materials. And that might be things like whether you're having brickwork or blockwork, stonework, something that of a, a masonry nature, or it can be into lightweight cladding, weatherboards, fibre cement sheeting, and even metal cladding and there's lots of other options that are available now as a builder and designer being across all of these <laughs> options is quite a yeah, task. It's impossible. And then we're also looking at connecting fascias and gutters uh, via downpipes into the stormwater system that's been established on site and then, of course, putting paintwork on everything that might need to be painted, which is quite a surprise for people that that might happen at this stage. So how about we just talk about some of those that exercise of cladding the house of either the brickwork or blocky blockwork layer coming in or lightweight cladding going onto the home. What are some things that the homeowner might need to know about this stage of work? Uh, there's plenty of things that go on on, on this stage. And, and again, there's, depending on the home, there's a heap of different ways to do it. So look, low sets are quite easy. Uh, very, if any, little scaffolding uh, required. So look, generally, if there's brickwork, the brickwork will be going up at this stage. Um, and then any lightweight cladding, like these days, there's Generally, all houses have some sort of feature, lightweight cladding or or stonework. If it's brickwork, lightweight cladding, they'll go on, and then once they're up, um, the carpenters will come back in and and do the suffetes, which is all the eaves lining around the home. Look, if it's a two- or three-storey house, there's there's a different process. So, um, again, to save costs, um, generally you'll do your cladding or your brickwork, whatever the finish, up to a certain height. Generally, what you can get off a off a, um, a small trestle or, or ladders off the ground. Um, again, just saving on the time that scaffolds on site. So you'll do the whole house all the way around to, to that level. Once that's done, those trades go away. Scaffold gets delivered, the scaffold goes up, and then the process continues. Uh, brickwork keeps going on, cladding keeps going on. You can actually find, depending on the size of the building, that the scaffolding gets pulled apart and put back together several times, doesn't it, to make sure that it's not taking up too much room on site, that it's being uh, that it's able to safely access the area that it needs to access. Oh, so definitely. that can be quite an undertaking as well, can't it? Yeah, definitely. And, and especially um, with the designs these days, upstairs or up, upper levels not aligning with downstairs levels. So in, in that scenario, it actually happen, uh, happens the other way around. So the lower roof w- won't go on, so it won't be put on yet. The scuffing will have to be built off the lower level up through the roof. And then, uh, so generally, they'll, the roofer might install the flashing for the lower roof so that the, clad, the, the carpenters or the bricklayer knows the height where to start from. So then the cladding and the outside linings of the house from that level up will be finished. And then that scaffolding comes down and then the lower roof goes on. So again, it, it comes back to one of those things when you're right from the beginning, when you're trying to do your costings and your scheduling these processes affect the draws of the job because of the process that has to happen. So, 
And there's a lot of, you can see there, there's a lot of kind of strategy and mechanical planning about all of that. Like a builder actually has to sit down, look at the drawings, understand the component tree of how everything gets put together and then think through what is going to be the simplest order in which to do this because the worst case scenario is that they don't, you know, you can imagine that's that situation that you described if the builder hadn't thought about it and had just started from the ground up and then got to the point where they needed to do the upper level cladding, suddenly realised they couldn't put a safe working platform over where that roof had gone, that roofing might end up getting completely damaged by people trafficking over it, you know, all of those types of things, or they're dropping materials on it as they're, you know, somebody accidentally drops a brick or something like that. All of that stuff has an impact on how stress-free site is and how well site is running. So even even something as simple as a pitch of the roof. So if if the lower roof was only five or even maybe 10 degrees it's a different scenario like you you can easily put a a uh, some sort of lightweight protection on the roof and you can just work off of that but once you start getting up obviously to a, a steeper pitch roof then like all builders are going to have their own uh, way of doing it but generally the lower roof will get kept off the scaffolding will go up through the roof the, the higher level will be 100 percent completed look again going back to the selections right at the beginning when uh, we're trying to tell people when we're pouring the slab or at the beginning that we need paint colours and they're wondering why. Um, like in a previous episode, we mentioned on a, on a simple house, the frame might go up in two weeks. Um, so you've got the frame up in two weeks, the roof goes on. So a month from the slab going down, the cladding started on the upstairs of the house. So we're going to be painting it. So um, yeah, it's it's important to make sure those selections are made. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because, uh, you know, as we were saying, a lot of people do see the paint colours as sort of the last step. It's the very, it's the dressing and a lot of homeowners have difficulty until they've seen how the form of the house is looking, you know, how the material changes might impact where they put colour. They have a lot of difficulty making those choices. And I've got a couple of blogs on the website about choosing external colours. There's lots of free uh, or low-cost sources, um, you know, like Dulux has has colour centres and there's, you know, lots of places where you can go to get help for external colours. You can often work with your designer on your external colours schemes as well. And there's the opportunity to get renderings of the outside of your house done. But it's really important to not put it off. You know, that it is a decision that will always cost you far more and be far more stressful if you're literally standing on site with the painter and the builder going, okay, we need this colour tomorrow because ideally what you're doing is you're picking your colours, you're then getting sample pots, you're then painting out swatches. As designers, this is what we do. We paint out swatches and we sit them on site to see how the light of the site at different times of the day impacts how that colour. Because you could have a white that you think is white, it looks like it's white in your living room. White's you know, never white. And white is never white. <laughs> and and so all of a sudden you're standing on site, the painter has ordered, you know, 300 litres of the stuff yeah. and and is starting to paint and, and this light is throwing pink, this white is throwing pink and you had no idea that it had a red tint to make up the colour white that it has. And it's, you know, I've seen far too many homeowners hit that point and the cost of everybody stopping, making another decision, buying new paint, it's just, it's that's the stuff that is like stressful, horrible, headache sort of stuff. Oh, definitely. Look, I can't recommend highly enough people, like people go and get those tiny little paint samples or, or colour charts and they pick a colour off of that and then they, like we tell them all the time, like you cannot go off that. So um, either we'll cut them ourselves or we'll, we'll tell them to go to Bunnings. Like they can go to Bunnings and buy 
three meter by 1200 sheet of jip rock for for 20 bucks paint a meter by meter sample of the color and and like you say move it around like it doesn't have to be on the side like move it around at your own where you're living currently put it outside lean it on the fence because it makes a hell of a difference when you've got a wall of it or, or even a meter by meter compared to a color chart and like you say so the the flow on effect at this stage of the job and look it's definitely happened to us we painted a whole three-story house and the owner's just decide they hated the colour. Oh, wow. Um, and they, like, people don't understand. Like, even on a small project, at this point of the job, if things like that are changed, it, it's enormous. So they might think it's just a site meeting and they've just said, oh, look, we're changing it from this colour to that colour. For the builder or the, or the administration, that is huge. That's back in the truck. That's 10, 15, 30 phone calls, 30 emails. Like, we have to delay everything every other trade that's scheduled right to the end of that job has to be delayed so and that and the thing is those trades aren't necessarily just working on your project they're working on other projects so if they have something else booked in that is running on time you've just told them they can't come to your site for two weeks you may actually the builder may lose them the builder may in order to keep their project going may have to find a trade that they you know a supplier that they don't or a subby that they don't ordinarily work with or they have to wait until that subby is finished on that other project to then come back and they're juggling everything around that so oh for sure look by doing that by having a schedule most of our trades are fairly good like they're, they're always on site generally within two sometimes three days of the dates that we want them there when they're running their businesses that well as well and there's a change like this and like you say so let's use a two-story house for example if they decide they they hate the color and so the paint is already finished or he's halfway through it so he stops he's not going to just stand around doing nothing he's going to go and do another job so as soon as he goes to that other job he's not going to just go and do a day or, or two he's going to complete that job so you've lost him for a week two three weeks and then so you've got scaffolding sitting there. So you've got the cost of the scaffolding and then you've got to try and reorganise everybody to get back. And like you just said, that painter's then probably got another job that's right behind that job. So then you've got to try and get him to squeeze back and finish. So it's, it's a huge flow-on effect and, and can be very, very costly. Yeah, and it's all, again, variations being charged at a variation margin that's stipulated yeah. by the contract. So it, it's a different relationship with the money as well. So And, and that sort of variation it isn't just the actual extra cost, it, it's delay cost as well, because that, that sort of variation is going to push out the project more than more times than often you're going to have a delay cost in the contract. Um, so if it's a huge delay, that, that builder is going to start to charge you. So as on top of all the, the extra labour, the extra materials, the redoing, the extra hiring, you're going to have a daily delay cost as well. And um, some things that people probably don't pick up when they're, because they don't read the back of the contract is, um, things like delayed cost and liquidated damages are worked out on a daily rate, not just a five-day week. So um, there's yeah, Saturdays and Sundays as well. Yeah, it can really catch you out. So the upshot of all of that is pick your external colour scheme very yep. early on. Do what you need to to check and test those paints. Don't do it off swatches. Make sure you're actually buying sample pots, doing brush outs yourself. As as designers, that's what we regularly do. We get a piece of MDF or plasterboard or some type of material. You do it like you do the paint. So you do a base coat and then you do the I was two just coats. Say, make sure you do your coats because yep. uh, a lot of people will put one coat on and say, "Oh, that's the colour we want." Yeah. <laughs> so you're doing two coats or whatever the paint manufacturer recommends is the finished product. You might find that some paint colours require a tinted undercoat as well. So you know, reading all the small print, seeing, speaking to the paint specialist to find 
find out what that's going to look like on as as a finished product, doing that at a test sample, being having some certainty about the colours that you're choosing and then providing some information. That One of the other things, obviously, is, is sometimes you might have a feature colour or you might have one colour on your... Um, brickwork and then one colour on your lightweight. You might have a, paint, a front door painted a certain colour. That might be a feature wall on the back painted a certain colour. If that hasn't been articulated to the painter at the point of quoting, they might have only allowed two colours across the course of your house. Yeah. Um, every time they change a colour, there's obviously wastage in not necessarily using up everything that they can order. There's a cha- There's a, a labour cost and yeah. time cost. Um, there's a an order in which things need to be done, which may change how they can access different parts of the house to paint that stuff. So having all of that decided before you get the painter to do their quote is really important for you to get an accurate price for the paint because too often I see builders just allow two colours and the homeowner then, the builder then says, okay, we're going to need your external paint scheme. They spend an inordinate amount of time figuring it out. They sit down with the Dulux specialist or some other specialist to help them. They mark it all up on a house, they hand it to the builder and they say, well, that's not actually what we've allowed at all. So far better to bring that all forward. So brickwork, your lightweight cladding is going up. We're putting on downpipes. You mentioned that that idea of suffetes going on. And I wanted to talk a bit about just some of those different sort of lightweight um, claddings and some of the thoughts and what that sort of looks like physically on site. So, you know, you see a lot of lower cost homes these days will be using a lightweight cladding that might have brickwork running up either side, but where it's over the top of a window opening or a door opening, you know, brickwork is a heavy brickwork and blockwork are heavy materials to hold in the sky. Yep. You know, so you'll you'll end up having. If you want brickwork or blockwork over the top of something, say over the top of a window or even on an upper floor that might be a projected space like a cantilever or projected edge out over a lower floor, often you'll find that you'll have thought you're just going to get brickwork up there that's rendered like the rest of the house is. But what actually happens is you get a lightweight cladding that's known as blue board or, you know. Yeah, like cool wall, foam. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, some kind of textured lightweight product that then gets the render applied across it. It looks like lightweight. It looks like rendered brickwork or blockwork, but the minute you knock on it, you obviously understand that it's a lightweight material. And often, what I see too is because brickwork's a, a certain depth, and then lightweight cladding is much thinner. So brick, you know, brick depending on the brick, it'll be 110, you know, millimeters yeah. thick. It there's a cav- there's the frame there's a cavity so you've got the timber frame and then a cavity and then the brickwork so that wall thickness will be a certain thickness but the lightweight cladding will get fixed directly to the frame itself so if you've got brickwork and lightweight cladding sitting side by side if you haven't told the builder that you want that lightweight cladding packed out so it's flush with the brickwork, so at the very least it that rendered material continues looking kind of consistent, then you can find you get a bit of a nasty surprise on site when the cladding's directly fixed to the frame or the builder says, oh, hang on, we actually need to pack this out. That's going to be a variation because we hadn't allowed for it. Those kinds of problems can really surprise people, can't they? Yeah, and look, that's where it comes back to to paying the money and getting detailed drawings and, and, and again having the team so everyone's on the same page they know you're after a flush finish so look all, all that comes about purely because of dollars so obviously like you said it's very expensive to hold brickwork in the air so anywhere that you do want to have brickwork over doors or windows or, or if it is an upper 
level on a two or three story house, you're going to have to have steel beams, steel, uh, steel lintels. So there's, there's more cost involved. And if, if the spans are quite large and those, those beams are going to get quite expensive. And then once you go outside the standard size brick lintels and you have to get custom steel work made, and then that's got to be galvanized because it's on the outside of the house and there's brickwork sitting on it, it, it all adds up. So that's the main reason behind why the, the lightweight cladding is, is fixed back onto a wall. But And look, generally um, on all the plans we see, very rare to have a detail of if, if that is back or if it is built out flush. Depending on the style of the house or, or the design of the house, that's something we would definitely talk about and work into our costings um, at the quoting stage. Look, depending on the type of cladding, it makes a huge difference whether it's set back. Like generally, it's around 140 mil um, with the brick in the cavity, and that can really change the whole aesthetics of the, and the facade and, and the look of the outside of the house. It can, definitely, and I think it's why you start to see, in a lot of sort of the volume builders and the project homes, you've started to see them putting feature lightweight over the top of windows or over the top of the garage door, for example, because they'll have brickwork everywhere else. It will go straight up to the underside of the roof framing um, and then they have that lightweight cladding over the top of the window so it can be set back. It looks intentional. It looks, because it's a different material, people aren't expecting to see that it's flush and uh, and it looks like a feature. The upshot of it is it's actually more economical for them to do that than to put run the brickwork the whole way over. Yeah, definitely. And to... And and to build it as one sort of wall material like we would have on the Californian bungalows, you know, yeah. back in the 50s and 60s. So, yeah. so yeah, I think that really understanding how, uh, uh, you know, if you go straight to a draftsperson um, and even some building designers, they often won't nut these types of details through with you. You'll say, I want a brick home or I want rendered brick on the outside of my house, but they won't necessarily, just because of how much you might be paying them to do their service and the, the extent to which they're working with you, they may not take you through this decision-making about what on-flow effect that might have for where brickwork can be, where it can't be, where it's expensive to have. And so trying to get into the nitty-gritty of thinking about how your home's going to be put together. It can be really challenging for a newbie renovator or builder, um, but it's something that is worth obviously asking questions, researching around, getting into conversations with your builder about so that you can be more informed um, at that point of sort of making those choices, isn't it? Oh, 100%. And, and just one thing quickly on brickwork, it's amazing how many people think brickwork holds the house up. Uh, they don't un- realise it the house is structurally sound before the brickwork goes on. Even though brickwork's such a heavy product, it's just a facade. Yeah, it's just a, a heavy cladding. So, Yeah, because um, we're building all of our – anytime brickwork's used these days, it's done as brick veneer, isn't it? So it's the external it, skin, the cavity, and the timber frame on the inside. It's very unusual to – yeah, like the old days you had double skin brick, uh, yeah, brick houses that were internal, external. But um, these days, generally – Brick is only load bearing if it's being used as a as a feature wall, or, a, or there might be a feature column or, or something. It's definitely good advice because it is one of those materials, particularly in a lot of the southern states of Australia in the colder climates. In other places around the world, brickwork will be more traditionally used than a lightweight cladding, and it's seen as a very like face brick. We're seeing a lot of face brick being used a lot more commonly in homes at the moment, just because there's so many gorgeous bricks that are actually available these days. Mm-hmm. So it's something to be aware of just in terms of the strategy and thinking about how it can can be used across your house so that your house has that look that you're seeking. So, uh, Just quickly with the like face brickwork being so common at the moment and, and being used for a lot of feature walls, especially internally, I think we spoke about it back at the setting out of the frame stage. 
a lot of it's amazing how many times brickwork can be shown as a feature wall but not the depth of it so people think they've got a, a meter wide hallway no one's shown 110 millimeters for a brick so um yeah, yeah. just all of a sudden you've lost that space. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, those feature walls internally and externally is understanding it's like that stacked stone that you see. You know, you can buy that stacked stone as a cheap, lower cost veneered tile that comes in a certain size. And if if somebody doesn't have the expertise to lay that well, every day of the week you will see each tile of stacked stone, <laughs> you know, wrapping its way up the yeah. wall and if it if it's turning the corner and you haven't paid to have it mitered on the corner then you'll see the edges of how that stack stone has been glued together to create that yeah. tile so understanding when you're saying to people this is the material I want like get a sample you know hold it in your hands see what it looks like you'll often often these materials they have come from the original material, like I think of Frank Lloyd Wright's homes back in the you know early 1900s and the 20s and 30s, the the you know the stacked stone was real stacked stone, yep. and and as we've sort of wanted that influence and that character in our homes, you know manufacturers have created materials that look like these things, but they're easier to handle, they're lower yeah, cost to produce, and they're yeah. lightweight. But to get a good result requires a lot of skill to install it so that it doesn't look like a low-cost facade that's just been applied. So, you know, don't don't get freaked out by all of these material choices. You can always call the manufacturer and supplier, ask for samples, hold this stuff in your hand, ask them where you can see projects where it's been installed. A lot of building information centres um, will have, you know, a feature wall of these materials, go to building expos, see and talk to these people who make the stuff about what they recommend and advise about how it needs to be put together. All right, so we've talked about obviously wrapping the house up. We're getting the roof on, we're getting the cladding in, you know, we can see how much is involved in that, the external painting, navigating, getting the scaffolding off-site as quickly as possible so that we can keep those costs down. Of course, there's going to be potentially stuff happening around your house as well if you've got decking, if you've got a pool, um, if you've got any external hardscape, so pathways or a driveway. Can you talk through a bit about what might be going on in this lock-up enclosed stage of the process that people might see extra draws for and extra work happening on-site? Yeah, so the, like during this uh, lock-up and close stage, the, again, it's very similar to the frame stage. It can be broken up into to a lot of drawers. So if it's on a larger block, they might be putting the pool shell in or, or um, the pool shell might have gone in at slab stage and, and they're now starting to complete the pool. So you could have a drawer at this stage for more pool work. They might be doing the pool fencing. And then a lot of, if it's a job that's got landscaping involved, there could be a lot of the hardscape stuff going on at this stage. So there might be footings and block work for retaining walls or, or some sort of sleeper retaining wall, um, external pathways, garden beds, all that outside work. And look, it, it completely depends on the house, probably more on a low set, because obviously if you've got scaffold up, there won't be too much work going on close to the house, but definitely in the backyard. And, and even if it's on an acreage site, there might be work at this point starting to go on the, on the driveway. There might be a, quite a long driveway that needs to be prepared and road base and, and stuff like that um, undertaken. Like if it is on an acreage block, sometimes there might be already an existing power supply or a water supply that's got to be upgraded. But So you might use that to a, to get to a certain stage or, or it, because of the way that's got to be 
organise with other trades or energects or someone, you might only be able to do it at a certain time. So there could be trenches and underground services going in. So look, we've been saying like builders might be breaking this stuff up into a lot more smaller drawers just to, to help their cash flow out. Can I, can I just tell a quick story about yeah. it? We just had one recently in the last couple of weeks. Um, so it was a house... The house was eight years old. Uh, we never built the house. We we did get asked to quote the house at the time, and I, I get on fairly well. He's he's a guy I know. So about a month ago, I got asked to to go to the house because there were some soft patches um, in his decking. So this particular house was three stories. It was a split level at the back. It was two stories, and right down one length, twenty five meters, was a deck pathway, and then around the back um, had a large deck. As soon as I turned up there and. He'd already pulled a few boards up and some of the joists were, were rotted out. And uh, I started looking around. I was like, mate, you've you got far more problems here than what you think. A couple of things with decking outside. So over, over the last sort of, I guess, 8, 10, 12 years, we used to always use hardwood. Anything that was outside, you used hardwood for. And then all these new lightweight materials have come in, laminated beams, LVLs, um, LGLs, all these different products. They have to be installed a particular way. They've got to have particular treatments put on them. And you should be putting some sort of deck protector on t- or joist protector on top of the joist before you lay your decking. Um, so what had happened? No, no protection had been put on these um, LVLs. So all the all the joists were all rotten and uh, with water rot or dry rot. But the worst thing was, and and I've seen this happen so many times. But just so people can keep an eye on the builder they're using, or, or they may be an owner builder that's looking to do it themselves. Where a deck butts into a house, you need to finish your external cladding first so whether you lay the deck or if you lay the deck then you need to leave whatever half a meter of boards off and you need to make sure the actual out external wall of the house is completely watertight sealed your cladding runs down past your deck um, what th- what had happened on this particular job had they'd built all the deck structures at the same time they'd done the framing and then they'd laid the deck first before they'd done their cladding so they could they, work off the deck to do so the they cladding. could work off the deck which they thought at the time, I guess, was saving money. But the frustrating thing about this is the carpenters that would, had, had done this work for this builder should have known better, and, and they shouldn't have done it. So they built the deck structure, they've laid the decking, they've run the decking all the way into the frame, and then they've sat their, their first board of their cladding on the decking. It's a great big conductor for moisture into the house, So isn't what's it? happened? All, every time it rains, the water runs down the outside wall. Something as simple, they hadn't even put any sort of metal flashing or anything between the cladding and the and the uh, decking board. So all the moisture right down one side of the house and across the back was getting sucked back in between the joint and the, the cladding and the decking, completely soaking the perimeter load-bearing beam of the house. So this house was sitting off the ground about 800 mil on bearers and joists. It started by him saying to me that he, he, the laundry door was um, getting a bit stuck and while we were there, could we fix the door? And as soon as I got my head down under the deck and looked underneath... The bearers just had these enormous bows in them, crawled underneath the deck. I could just lightly push my finger straight through all these beams. On the edge of the house, supporting the edge of the house. Supporting a two-storey house. So, wow. Um, look, that ended up being two chippies and a and an uh, apprentice on site for nearly two weeks. So the whole deck structure had to be pulled up, all the decking removed. In the back wall of the house, we had to actually remove the cladding. We had to acro prop the, the level above it. We had to replace all the load-bearing beams. So something that should have been built correctly the first time for no extra cost um, has now, eight years later, so it's outside of warranty, um, eight years later has now cost the owner 
nearly forty thousand dollars in labour and materials to get to get it back to exactly where it was. To what it was. And so, you know, the trick to avoiding stuff like that is not being frightened to ask the questions up front. Yeah. Um, you know, any builder that is going to get narky and cross at you for asking how well are you building my home, um, <laughs> it's a really good early warning sign to walk away from that builder. Um, you know, all of the good builders I know, and Dwayne's a perfect example, have an attitude there is no such thing as a silly question and it is my job to educate you as the homeowner who is investing all of this money with me to bring your dream to life. And so being able to say, look, I heard about this story, I, you know, what are you doing on our project to make sure that we can avoid this yeah. is a perfectly understandable question. So that's that then pretty much wraps out our house. Our house is watertight now. and uh, Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so if you haven't listened to the previous episode, make sure you do head back and then you'll get the full, full scope of what this stage actually includes. Thanks so much, Dwayne. Thanks, Amelia. Now... Before I go, I want to share some more great information with you about QuoteSpec. So QuoteSpec is our podcast partner for this season and QuoteSpec is a cloud-based quoting app that enables builders and tradespeople to create professional, easy-to-understand quotes for their projects. So, And it also allows homeowners to see exactly what's been included and not included and for you to have confidence that you can manage your budget and your build without drama. Now, I talk a lot on Undercover Architect about the fact that finding out the cost of your project, it's not a one-step process. This is one, you know, this is a thing that you do incrementally and you're honing the quality of information and the accuracy of the pricing as you go. And as you develop your design, you know, you get clearer on your selections and your choices. You can be working collaboratively with your builder and your designer and you can create a comprehensive picture of your project. You know, one where the design that you're creating and the budget cost they're actually being developed alongside each other and where each member of your team brings their skills to the project in order to help that happen. Now, the benefit of QuoteSpec is that a builder or a tradesperson actually has access to all the quotes they've ever done. They can contain, they can keep all of that information in one spot. So this becomes a fantastic hub for builders to actually, you know, collate all of that information, past work experience and learnings. They can really inform future projects and what this means is your builder can actually demonstrate to you how their project knowledge is gained from other projects like yours. So this is great for a builder to be able to show their reputation and also to really help you feel more confident that that builder is going to be a good fit for you. Now, when a builder has this experience and has this ability to systematically store and interrogate their project pricing, this actually helps them work collaboratively with you to understand your project cost better and to help inform your budget more accurately. As a quote is developed in quote spec, you know, a builder is able to note where prices will need more information, you know, where they might need to be firmed up with subcontractor or supplier quotes, you know, so they're always across and can show to you what's an estimate and what is an actual quoted price as well. So homeowners, make sure you ask your builder or your tradesperson, do you use QuoteSpec? And if they don't, send them to the web address to find out more information about it. So the web address is www.quotespec.com.au forward slash undercover architect. And QuoteSpec is spelt Q-U-O-T-E-S-P-E-C quotespec.com.au forward slash undercover architect. I love it as a platform and I, uh, I know that you will too. 
Now, in the next episode, Dwayne and I, we're moving on to the next stage, which is the fix it or fit out stage. Look, this for many homeowners, this is the fun part. This is where the interior finishes and the fixtures and the fittings start going into your home. Site is an incredible hive of activity as all sorts of tradespeople are getting all of this work done and your home is really coming together. It can feel so close, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And so, Listen out to the next episode for the fix it or fit out stage. Please also mention this season to any friends, family or colleagues who might be building soon too or are also, you know, who are underway in their construction project because this is knowledge that can really help so many homeowners have a much better experience with their renovation or new home construction. Now, all of the links for this episode, they're in the show notes, all of the web addresses that I've mentioned. So head there for more information. Looking forward to next time. Bye. Bye.